We are the only minority group that you can join overnight. From Overnight Productions. In the twinkling of an eye, in fact. This one boy is watching me dance, and he goes to his mother. He says, Mama, he's not dancing to the rhythm. And she said, baby, bless his heart. Some people dance to the lyrics. Something he said to me, and my grandmother used to say it too, don't explain yourself, be yourself, and let that be the explanation. She said, Dwayne, I don't understand it. You know, but you don't have to understand why a bird sings to enjoy its song. And she said, I enjoy your song. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Chilean voters reject pro-Indigenous and queer constitution, new UKPM trust takes Tories further to the right, and Ratliff's fictionalized memoir comes of age. Those stories and more this week because you've discovered This Way Out. I'm Michael Taylor Gray. And I'm Sarah Montague. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending September 10th, 2022. Chilean voters have rejected a new constitution to replace the one left by the 1970s dictator Augusto Pinochet, despite strongly supporting a rewrite. They approved the effort to craft a document more reflective of the times by 80% in 2020 but they rejected a proposed draft by an almost two-to-one margin on September 4th. Strong concerns about guaranteeing representation for the South American country's indigenous people and entrenched rights protections for LGBTQ people were among the stumbling blocks analysts pointed out. Text in the rejected constitution included allowing people to live life in all its dimensions and manifestations, including sexual characteristics, gender identities, and expressions. Chile's president, Gabriel Boric, says he will renew his efforts to build a new constitution itinerary alongside Congress and civil society. Chilean queer advocacy group Fundación Igalwes says their work is not over. They tweeted, The minimum floor for our next constitution is full equality for women and sexual and gender diversity. Javier Zuniga represents the Movement for Homosexual Integration and Liberation. He told the Washington Blade, The matters related to substantive equality that were included in the proposal are not part of the conflictive elements in the proposal, such as non-discrimination. Respect for identity and equality of rights are quite well installed among Chileans as basic principles of the society we wish to build. Rights activists celebrated last year when Chile's lawmakers approved marriage equality legislation. The first queer couples were wed in March of this year. The final royal act of Queen Elizabeth II was to formally appoint the UK's new Prime Minister, Liz Truss. Truss won a contentious Conservative Party battle on September 5th to replace Boris Johnson, the subject of multiple scandals. She shook hands with the ailing Queen the following day. The death of the 96-year-old monarch overshadowed Truss's selection and the warnings from LGBTQ rights groups about her. They say the new Tory government is drifting even further to the right and becoming more anti-queer. Truss herself has questioned the concept of gender identity and gender-affirming care for minors. 
The new cabinet is filled with anti-LGBTQ ministers, according to Pink News. Home Secretary Suella Braverman has also attacked trans rights. Unfortunately, so has Minister for Equalities, Nadim Zahawi. He's even suggested reviving the UK's notorious Section 28, the discarded law banning the promotion of homosexuality in schools. Health Secretary and Deputy PM Therese Coffey and Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng both oppose marriage equality. And Defense Secretary Ben Wallace voted against it when he was an MP. Other cabinet members who have voted against LGBTQ rights include Business and Energy Secretary Jacob Rees-Mogg, Environment Secretary Renio Jawardina, and Culture Secretary Michelle Donnellan. On the flip side, Justice Secretary Brandon Lewis, Work and Pensions Secretary Chloe Smith, Education Secretary Kit Maltus, Northern Ireland Secretary Chris Heaton-Harris, and Attorney General Michael Ellis have strong pro-equality voting records. Pink News reporter Patrick Kelleher notes, What remains to be seen is whether they will continue supporting LGBTQ plus rights in a government that is dominated by ministers who favor anti-LGBTQ plus sentiment. Two queer Iranian women activists have been sentenced to death for corruption on earth. Amnesty International calls 31-year-old Zara Siddiqui Hamadani a gender non-conforming human rights defender. She was arrested in October for attempting to enter Turkey to seek asylum. A court in Nurmiya found her and 24-year-old Eliham Shubdar guilty. Norway's Hengar Organization for Human Rights says that the two were accused of promoting homosexuality and Christianity, but the Islamic Iranian regime denies those reports. They claim the women were arrested for human trafficking, not for their activism. Shadi Amin of the German-based Iranian LGBTQ plus group Six Rang is calling on Germany and other foreign governments to bring pressure on Iran to free the women. He told Argent's France Press, this is the first time that any woman has been sentenced to death in Iran for her sexual orientation. The condemned can apparently still file appeals, but that may just prolong the inevitable. The Iranian government is infamous for its persecution of gender and sexual minorities. Two 32-year-old gay men were executed in February. Medak Harimpurj and Farid Mohamdi were convicted of committing the crime of sodomy. U.S. federal courts have erased rights in Texas and upheld them in Washington state. Judge Reed O'Connor of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas overruled the Affordable Care Act mandate that requires free coverage of the HIV drugs Truvada and Descovy, commonly known as PrEP. PrEP patients in the U.S. are overwhelmingly men who have sex with men. O'Connor has a lengthy anti-queer judicial rap sheet since he was appointed by President George W. Bush in 2007. He agreed with a group of Christian employers and employees that being forced to provide PrEP enables and encourages homosexual behavior and violates provisions of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. An appeal of O'Connor's decision is all but certain. A three-judge panel of the San Francisco-based Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals has affirmed Washington's ban on conversion therapy for minors. Washington passed its law in 2018. It prohibits licensed mental health professionals from subjecting patients under the age of 18 to the debunked treatments. 
Twenty other states outlaw the bogus therapy that cannot turn LGBTQ people straight and sometimes does irreparable harm. California was the first in the nation to ban conversion therapy in 2014. The same appeals court upheld that law. A self-identified Christian-licensed marriage and family therapist challenged the Washington law on free speech and religious liberty grounds. He was represented by the certifiably anti-queer Alliance Defending Freedom. However, the Ninth Circuit's conclusion reads, states do not lose the power to regulate the safety of medical treatments performed under the authority of a state license, merely because those treatments are implemented through speech rather than through scalpel. It's not clear what additional legal steps the losing side might take to challenge the ruling, if any. The all-ages audience gave Jenna Talia a rousing welcome to Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Her drag show was part of a back-to-school pride night organized by the Rainbow Collective, a nonprofit support group for the queer BYU community. The Mormon-run university bans organized pro-LGBTQ groups from meeting on campus, so the annual event is held in a nearby park. That did not deter armed protesters shouting, pedophiles, groomers, and stop protecting the homos from trying to disrupt the fun on September 3rd. Then the angels appeared, angels in the form of counter-protesters dressed in white with enormous white wings, reminiscent of the people who guarded the funeral of gay-bashing victim Matthew Shepard in 1998. A dozen of their descendants formed a human shield between about a hundred bile-spewing protesters and hundreds of LGBTQ students, alumni, and friends. Police on hand broke up a few scuffles between the two groups, but the event was otherwise festive and peaceful. Finally, Kimber Glidden of Boundary County Library in Bonners Ferry, Idaho, had just had enough. She called it quits as library director on September 10th after months of demands at board meetings by sometimes armed Christian conservatives to remove about 400 young adult books, almost entirely dealing with LGBTQ themes, a few with the occult. The meetings went something like this. Even if we do nothing to you, eventually, if you don't repent of wanting to harm our children with pornography, that's up to God. Things need to change. Otherwise, you bring curses upon yourselves, period, from the Most High. My job is to protect our kids from sexual deviants who will be drawn to our library if inappropriate sexual material is on our library shelves and using our kids as prey. CNN's Nick Watt asked Glidden about the most salient point in the controversy. Are any of those books in the library? Not a single one. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending September 10th, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazor, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Michael Taylor Gray. Stay healthy. And I'm Sarah Montague. Stay safe. Hi, this is Janice Ian, and you're listening to This Way Out. Oh, my. You ain't going to get this nowhere else. My name is Edith Ann, and that's the truth. Good news. Good news. Ain't that good news?
Are you signed up for our e-newsletter, Inside This Way Out? We send them out every few weeks, briefly reviewing recent and previewing upcoming programming and deepening the conversation about your favorite international LGBTQ radio show. All you have to do to receive Inside This Way Out messages is email us at info at thiswayout.org. And be assured that we don't share or sell your email address or anything about you to anyone else, and we never will. Again, to receive the occasional Inside This Way Out and let us know you're listening, email us at info at thiswayout.org. to the Lyrics won the 2021 Best Indie Book Award in the LGBTQ coming-of-age category. But whose coming-of-age story is it? Author Dwayne Ratliff explains how truth is guiltier than fiction in these highlights from an interview with Eric Jansen of Out in the Bay Radio San Francisco. You mentioned when we spoke on the phone last week that essentially this is an autobiography. It's your memoir. So on 95% of the things actually happened, as you told me. Why did you choose to write the uh, to to write this in the third person? You know, we're talking about Grant instead of, hey, you know, I went with my mother. Um, par- part of it was out of ignorance. Personally, or myself, I, I didn't know how to write. And also because family members wanted me to change the name and make it as appear as as fictitious as possible. You know, and basically... The names have been changed to protect the guilty (laughs) because there were no innocent people. So um, to be perfectly honest, that was the reason, you know, the wishes of other people determined the style that I was going to write in. So how did you choose the name Dancing to the Lyrics? What is what does Dancing to the Lyrics refer to? Ah, it's really funny because I love to destroy stereotypes. You know, the stereotypes are I'm African-American and gay must be a fabulous dancer. Actually, I'm I'm a clodhopper, completely a clodhopper. Uh, so I was dancing and in front of a bunch of people, uh, mostly African-American, all of African-American crowd. And this one boy is watching me dance. And he goes to his mother. He says, Mama, he's not dancing to the rhythm. And she said, baby, bless his heart. Some people dance to the lyrics. <laughs> and that is me. I, I hear, and I think that could be said for a lot of people. We, we dance to our own, whatever we hear ourselves. And I see the subtitle is uh, finding an inner, inner rhythm, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important because really that's what you're all about. It's like outside is noise. You have to listen to what is inside because only you know you. Luckily, I was able to filter out of, out of a lot of the negative stereotypes of being a gay man. Not completely, but yeah, I was able to do some. Do you remember what what grade you were in when when uh, Martin Luther King was shot and killed? Oh, it was the third grade. He was killed on my mother's birthday. I remember that clearly. Right, and that's in the book too. So you're sitting down at dinner, you're just about to blow out the candles, and all of a sudden the news comes on that Martin Luther King has been shot and killed. Yeah. Can you describe that that scene? Well, the thing that was really interesting about it is um, that day, and most people don't realize, 
the United States had launched, I forget what Apollo one, I think it was one of the Apollo missions, and it was the highest rocket that had ever been launched. So my day started with being excited by that. And as I write in the book, on that day, America went as high as it ever could, and it also went as low as it ever could in that same day. And although it wasn't apparent to me at the time, I'm still a child. So when my mother blew out the candle, Walter Cronkite came on the news and said Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. And my mother had just blown out the candles. And to me, it was almost like, oh, my God, my mother just blew out a life. I mean, you're a child, so your imagination runs really wild. And it was it, it was just a really surreal scene for me, even this many years later. Yeah, I can imagine. So there were riots in many cities, but Baltimore was one of them. And a few days later, um, you had armed National Guard troops all over your city, or at least at least in your neighborhood. Yeah, it was all over the city. Yeah, describe that scene. What was that like for you as a kid? Well, it was so funny. And this is where kind of the gay park camp comes in. At first, I was afraid. Uh, a commander came into the school and ordered us out of school because they were going to use our school to hold looters. So we were ordered out of school before lunch. And I remember the soldiers were all in the park. Almost all of them were white. As a matter of fact, I think all of them were white. And they had fixed bayonets. And we were scared. All of us were afraid to cross the park because there were soldiers with bayonet. And, you know, me being the entrepreneurial spirited person I am, I said, if you guys give me your lunch money, because we aren't going to have lunch, I would confront the troops. And I did. And I started yelling at them, telling them to go home. They should be ashamed of themselves for, you know, invading our country. And and it was so funny because um, there was a, a kid in our neighborhood who was a special a needs kid or developmentally delayed. And he was standing by my side and he was yelling at them, telling them go back on TV because white people were only on TV for him. So he was yelling at them to do that. So ironically, it was the developmentally delayed child and the gay child that were standing up to the armed forces moving into our city. You know, I, I thought that was actually very interesting because all the other ones were afraid, but it was us who stood up to them. Yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting. So, so then you a little bit later you came back. You, you and your mom came back out into the streets to buy to go to the grocery store, forgetting that there was a curfew on. And so you and she have an interaction with this with this young soldier with the bayonet. Can you? I think that's a section you're going to read. You want to read that little section to us? Yes, we we were running out of food because we were not prepared for the riot, and it, the curfew was on. So. We walked to the end of our block to go to a store that was certainly not open. Well, we didn't get that far. As we turned the corner to to go down North Eden Street, a soldier ordered us to halt. We were held at bayonet point. Current events returned to the forefront. We were in violation of curfew. He seemed just as shocked to see a woman and a child as we were to see a bayonet in our face. Seeing his young face as a child, I saw a grown man. Remembering his face over 50 years later, I saw a boy with a bayonet. He looked out of place in his uniform. With his rosy cheeks, it was almost as if one of Santa's elves had enlisted into the military. The young soldier probably hadn't shaved his face yet. He merely plucked a few hairs, splashed on some aftershave, the alcohol only stinging a few open pores. Furthermore, he didn't appear old enough to even drink alcohol, nor was he old enough to vote. Men were dying in Vietnam who could not vote or drink. A few years later, the 26th Amendment would change that. 
but the amendment could not deliver maturity before it was due. The man was a boy, but he still had the gun. After he told us to halt, he didn't really know what to do with a woman and a child. My mother pressed her advantage and assaulted him with the truth. She told him how she was not able to shop because of the rioting and we were running out of food. The need to feed her family had caused her to momentarily forget there was a curfew. Rumor had it that if you were arrested after curfew, your personal jewelry or watches were confiscated and dumped into a barrel, presumed to be looted items. Seconds into her story, the bayonet dropped from our faith. An unexpected maturity crossed his face as he said, my uniform orders me to do one thing and my conscience another. I joined the guard so I didn't have to kill anyone. I really don't want to be here either. Had no intentions of arresting us. We went from being curfew breakers to a confessional for a soldier from suburbia. He continued, I just want you to know I don't believe all the lies that pass for our history. You have every right to be angry at us, and I have no right to tell you how to be angry. Just know that not all of us white people support this. Those of us who don't care are not yet numerous enough to stop it. My mother nodded and said, I know that, but I can count on one hand the number of white people who have said what you just said and still have fingers left over. It's nice to finally meet another one in person, even if it was at gunpoint. His gun suddenly became an embarrassment to him. The rose on his cheek spread across his entire face. If he could have hid his gun behind his back, he would have. Not knowing what else to do, he bid us farewell by informing us that tonight the Department of Agriculture would be trucking in food and setting up three or four food distribution centers One of the centers would be not more than 50 yards from where we stood at the corner of East Eager Street. He told us to get there early and before they ran out of food. That's Dwayne Ratliff reading from his uh, memoir novel, Dancing to the Lyrics, Finding an Inner Rhythm. It won a 2021 Best Indie Book Award in the LGBTQ Coming of Age category. I'm Eric Jansen. More from Eric Jansen out in the Bay with author Dwayne Ratliff after this brief word about our sponsors. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month, some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. More now from out in the Bay's Eric Jansen chatting with Dwayne Ratliff author of the award-winning Dancing to the Lyrics. I want to know about some of the characters in this book. I mean, I realize now that you've told me this is, you know, this is really your life. So these are real people whose names you've changed. But tell us about Mr. Willie. Mr. Willie is like this really crucial uh, figure in your childhood. Well, he was a a compilation character. He was two characters. Uh, One of them was blind. And he actually lived next to us when we lived between the penitentiary and the junkyard in East Baltimore. And he, oh oh my God, he was just such a fascinating person because it was a time when, you know, the black population went under extreme urbanization. I mean, we went from being very rural peasant people to very urban people. And he was a root doctor that knew all these traditions. And he was the first one who hinted to me that I was gay and that it was okay. How did he do that? Um, he just he just called me a special kind of boy. And I remember something he said to me that sticks with me today. And I think it's really 
important for anybody, but particularly us from the LGBT community is like, he said something, and my grandmother used to say it too, was he said, don't explain yourself, be yourself and let that be the explanation. You know, you didn't, you don't owe anyone an explanation. And that really struck, struck me, although it's not in the book, I eventually would move to an all white school and all my white friends to this day would always say, Dwayne, you were aggressively yourself and you didn't apologize. You never came into the room apology first. You just came in who you were. But I, he really, uh, in some ways, uh, growing up black pre- prepared me for dealing with the gay because I had things to support me to say stuff like that. And how was your family with your, you know, with your homosexuality? My grandparents were really accepting, so much so that years later, when I took my boyfriend home, uh, I told my boyfriend, you know, my grandparents know, but we're not sleeping in the same bed in their house. I'm just not doing that. And to my surprise, my grandparents came to me and very sheepishly and innocently say, and very proudly, they said, well, we just wanted to let you know that we made the bed for both of you upstairs. (laughs) So we want you to be together. And it I was like, oh my God, it was way too much more. It was beautiful, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was more acceptance than I was <laughs> more than you were ready for. <laughs> From older black people of that time period, I was not prepared. I mean, my grandmother didn't understand. And one of the things she said to me that I still use to this day, she said, Dwayne, I don't understand it. You know, but you don't have to understand why a bird sings to enjoy its song. And she said, I enjoy your song. Wow, that's beautiful. Never forgot that. I was going to ask who, if you had an intended audience when you wrote this, or you just this was inside of you and it had to come out one way or the other. Well, I, actually, my husband convinced me to write. He says, if you don't like it, you don't ever have to publish it. And then he said something to me. He said, I don't mean it as a, a shock. He said, Dwayne, I just didn't think it was going to be that good. And, and he's like <laughs> my biggest critic. So if he thought it was good, I said, okay, I'm going to self-publish it. Right. After I wrote it, one of the things that was really key for me especially during the 60s, it was a time period to me when those who saw the most were never on the evening news. I saw so so much, although I was nine years old, I knew what was going on, but no one ever asked me. And every time I hear about that time period, everything sounded like a lie because I was there. I was in the room when it happened, to quote Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you one more thing, and that is uh, your choice to uh, only cover the years from four to nine. As gay writers, we tend to like, you know, do a little bit of our childhood, but the big thing about our writing is coming out and dealing with that. And I purposely chose to stay a child. One, because I was transitioning from Black being my a primary identity, and I was slowly weaving in the gay part. And I really didn't want to rush that because it was really important that you see a gay Black child as a child the whole time. Right. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. Hey, look, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was Dwayne Ratliff. You can find Dancing to the Lyrics on Amazon.com and at independent booksellers. I'm Eric Jansen at outinthebay.org. Eric also wanted us to thank Lucen Mendel for audio editing. Dwayne's website is DwayneRatliff.com. 
Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Michael Taylor Gray and Sarah Montague, produced by Brian DeShazer, and from Eric Jansen. Sam Cook and Nina Simone performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavana Foundation, and donors James Kennedy and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on WOMR Provincetown, Massachusetts, Radio Free Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, California, 3UGE Alexandra, Victoria, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.